Hello and welcome again to the Sky U Podcast by The Daily Gopher. As always, I am Chris, go AU Fur. We've got Andy, go for Guy 05. How's it going? U Street. Hey, y'all. And Blake, Iowa Gopher. Howdy. Well, we have, a, at least in my case, a very exciting what should you be drinking uh, today. My drink of choice is NyQuil. It's the moonshine of medicine. It is wonderful and uh, certainly gives you all the effects that whiskey gives you without any of the delicious flavor. Um, I highly recommend it. You should all go get a sinus infection slash cold slash nonsense and enjoy some yourself. Andy, do you have any exciting beverages to share this week? Uh, I don't know if it's exciting or not, but between last week's football games, both the uh, Gophers and the Vikings, and now watching the uh, wildcard game with the Twins, uh, bleach sounds pretty good. Maybe a lemon-scented bleach, just to give it a little more essence. Ooh, I like the choice of lemon. You sure you don't want lavender? Actually, is there lavender bleach? I'm going to say there's lavender bleach. Would you prefer lavender bleach? No, I'll go lemon. We'll stick with lemon. Okay. Street, what do you got? They say that you're not supposed to mix NyQuil with alcohol. But are you supposed to mix NyQuil pills and alcohol? Unclear, but if I'm around tomorrow, probably fine. Sweet. Blake, have you joined the NyQuil Brigade? No, I'd actually like to point out that everyone on this podcast except me has been sick over the last two weeks. So, I mean, my secret to success is just drinking a lot of water um, and, you know, just exercise. So pay attention, kids. That's how, that's how you get it done. I'd like to point out that Blake is our resident millennial and his optimism in the face of sickness bothers me. Moving on. Final thoughts on Maryland. Uh, I think we'll keep this fairly brief because, you know, we all really want to talk about that game since it's super enjoyable. Um, I know, you know, Street and I had a chance to discuss it after the podcast. I guess for me, the big takeaway is same thing. I'm just using it as an opportunity to change my best and not let the full homer get in the way of the fact that clearly, you know, we have some things that need working on still uh, and sort of temper temper my reactions uh, the rest of the way. Uh, Blake, what were your quick takeaways from the Maryland game? Yeah, I've kind of calmed down a bit after a couple of days of, you know, contemplation. Um, I mean, because they didn't play that very well and they're still just a touchdown short. I mean, Maryland obviously wasn't as bad as we were expecting. Um, they still have a lot of scope position players, and we knew that going in. But, uh, yeah, the big thing was the missed tackles on defense. We just don't see that a lot, and I don't know that they'll have a game like that again this season, or at least I hope not. Um, that's something that can be corrected and something that I think is unchar- uncharacteristic of what we've seen from this defense. So um, that was disappointing, but we'll see how they do on Saturday against Purdue. Um, and, yeah, again, uh, the rushing attack, it's just it's strange to see us struggling to run the ball. Um especially with, you know, when you have Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks in the backfield. So um, that's something that is a huge concern at the moment, and I really hope that's not the norm, um, just because I think that's what we've built our reputation on the last couple of years, especially on offense. So um, that's something I'll be watching moving forward, and hopefully Saturday was just kind of a blip on the radar and we can move up from here. So we'll see. Andy, uh, your kind of takeaways from from Maryland, you were the one who got to – Watch it happen in person. Yeah, that was uh, not the most fun afternoon in the world. I mean, they they just look lazadaisical at times. Uh, they just, for whatever reason, couldn't seem to couldn't seem to do the things they'd done the previous three weeks. And you know, I, Maryland gets a little bit of credit for that. And you just got to wonder, you know, game planning. Um, there's just some things that, for whatever reason, they stopped doing that we're working and uh whether whether the coaching staff saw something and tried to do something or whether they just weren't executing you know I, I guess we won't know for sure but um yeah the lack of the running game hurts the uh the injuries in the secondary um are definitely gonna hurt big time so uh they've got a lot of work to do before uh, we gear up here for the uh remainder of the season andy how was the crowd on saturday uh, not good. Not good. Uh, they announced attendance of about 43,000. Um, as always, that was very padded. There might have been 35 there, and that's probably a stretch. Uh, for, for those who haven't followed, uh, my seats and, and, and Chris's seats are in the open end, basically on the, uh, 
upper deck, so we looked straight ahead. You could pretty much make out the word Minnesota clear as day. So that's generally a good sign. I saw some other people saying uh, the the beautiful people seats between the 30s on the uh, on the home side were pretty empty as well. So um, you know that's something that Mark Coyle definitely had some concerns about, and one of the reasons I think they made the coaching switch is to, to try and get ahead of this, but they got a long way to go to get the uh, fan base back and excited and filling that place up on Saturday. I'd like to note, Andy, that I find it uh, a very veteran move there that you slid out our location so that all the podcast groupies can come hang out with us. That was <laughs> a good play on your part. I'd like to tip my cap. they bring beer, then I'll let them sit next to me. That's no problem. Yes, we're we're easily bribed with beer. Uh, Street, you, you kind of ended the 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 great takes less filling with a little bit of optimism. Uh, were there any last thoughts you had for Maryland as as we start turning the page towards Purdue? Sure. They, as Blake said, they lost by a touchdown in a game they played very badly. I am not tremendously sold on Purdue. And giving the coaching staff a full week to implement a plan as opposed to having to do something off the fly like they did on Saturday when Antoine Winfield went out should probably be good. All right. That's a, uh, a excellent segue into uh, let's kind of talk a little bit about the impact of the injuries um, that we've seen. Obviously, Demetrius Douglas, wide receiver, freshman gone for the year. Antoine Winfield is not officially out for Saturday, but I think parsing the way Fleck talks combined with just some common sense uh, and, and of course, some of the rumblings coming through various media outlets, I think we can assume Antoine Winfield Jr. will be out on Saturday. How do we view, the, you know, these? The, I'd say these are the, the two biggest injuries we're dealing with besides maybe Jared Weiler. Um you know, what, are the, what, what do we view as the impact of, of injuries on this team, both this week against Purdue and then moving forward? Uh, I guess to start with Andy. I mean, injuries are a huge thing against this team. Um, you know, if we're making predictions later, you'll, you'll realize that uh, I'm not looking forward to this weekend's game at all with our, our lack of secondary depth. Um, with McGee out for the second game of his supposed suspension and Winfield he's not going to play. Um, if you read anything between the lines, he won't play. You're, you're down, and they're missing Creighton, you're down three of your top six secondary members from the start of the year. That's not including Coney Durr, who you're expecting to have at this point, um, who, frankly, I'll be shocked if he plays this year. I was watching him walk around the sidelines on Saturday, and he still has a noticeable limp. So I think you pretty much can guarantee that uh, he's going to have to take a redshirt year, and he will not play at all this year for the Gophers. So, yeah, I'm worried about secondary depth majorly. Um, You know, Ken Handy Holly's going to get the start this week. Uh, We all thought that Ray Estes was going to get some time last week. I'll be shocked if he doesn't get into the game this week. So you're burning two of your secondary red shirts right there. Um, and then on the offensive line, you know, uh, Jared Weiler, who we all thought might be gone for a week, now is going on a month that he's not going to be able to play. Um, and whether he's the answer to trying to figure out how to get some push on that offensive line and try and get some holes for, for Rodney and Shannon because they have not done basically anything they haven't created the last two weeks um you know maybe that's the answer at wide receiver you've got you know a couple young players philip howard really stepped up last week but um you know you're gonna miss you're gonna miss douglas a lot and um again fleck sort of in his press conference today didn't come out straight and say it but pretty much insinuated that they are gonna try and redshirt um chris Ottman bell the season too so he might be able to play right now but it sounds like they're going to go with what they have. You know, you just got to make the best with what you have. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of work for them to uh, to try and get back to where we thought they might be, though. Here, and as we come into the you know big time stretch in the Big Ten Street, looking at you know what's missing from the team, what do you think is most critical for the Gophers uh, in order to have success against Purdue? Uh, and then have success uh, moving forward in the Big Ten. From an injury perspective, the person who is more critical is Antoine Winfield as opposed to Demetrius Douglas. Philip Howard filled in quite well for him, 
And if we're being honest, in a world where the loss of our freshman slot receiver is an absolute destruction for the season, probably weren't going to win a whole lot of games anyway. In terms of what they need to do to game plan against Purdue, and why I said I think a week of practice matters, one, take a look at what happened with Maryland. You give someone a full week of practice with the ones, they should get better. But also you can game plan to hide some of your weaknesses. Purdue's a challenging team. They have a lot of shifts and motions. They will run basically anything on you. They have a lot of tags. That's a lot of film work, and it would be very worrisome if the exact same kinds of injuries had happened during the Purdue game. But given they happened before, I would expect to see KHH play a lot in this game. I think certainly uh, we're going to see a lot of Kunaende. That could go uh, magnificently well or magnificently poorly. But from a schematic perspective, they're probably going to have to adjust how they hide their safeties. They're probably going to have to figure out new ways to pressure the quarterback. This means they may have to take a few risks that they weren't willing to take in the Maryland game. I'm inclined to think that Rob Smith would be willing to do that, and that's why I'm a little bit more optimistic. Blake, any kind of final thoughts wrapping up the injuries? Um, the only thing I'll add is I think that the silver lining with the situation at wide receiver, um, I mean, we don't, the fact that we only have three wide receivers that have a reception that are healthy right now is not good, but I will think it'll open the door for um, the tight ends to be more involved in the passing game like you saw on Saturday from Wozniak and Lingen even had, um, I think, two receptions and a touchdown. Um, I think you'll see them lean on them more in the passing game, which I, I've always enjoyed seeing over the years is the tight ends um, involved in that. Um, so I think that it will be the only silver lining to the lack of depth at wide receiver. But, uh, I mean, it's not it's not a good situation, but I think um, it's a chance for them to get more creative on offense, and that's something I think they desperately need. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, yards after catch Wozniak is my new favorite football thing. He's awesome. I don't understand what it is. I don't understand how it came about. I don't understand when they suddenly got him to have consistent hands, but it's magic and I will take all of it uh, that I can get. So tall guys got to stick together. It's a rule. Um, all right. So, I mean, injuries are not the only reason uh, that the Gophers are shorthanded. Obviously we've had the slightly cryptic, um, but generally understood as suspension based absences of a, a number of players. Um, the two main ones still affecting the team um, are Demry Croft and Duke McGee. Um, clearly, this this seems to show. I don't think you know. We're not going to speculate on what we think is going on. I don't think that's fair to the players, um, and certainly we don't have uh, rock solid inside info that we would want to share anyway. Um, but Fleck has been pretty clear in saying, uh, again, cryptically, but at the same time clear that we're talking about some form of rules, team rules violation, that, you know, it's important that players are doing the right things off the field. I guess, Blake, how comfortable are you with this focus on, on Im, uh, implementing this culture uh, over wins and losses? I'd say it's, it's definitely difficult from a fan standpoint because obviously we want to see the wins on the field, and that's not necessarily maybe – Flex entire focus as head coach. Um, you know, he wants to instill his culture. He wants to make sure we're doing things the right way before those wins come. Or in his mind, doing things the right way will lead to more wins. So um, I think it's certainly disappointing to see guys like, you know, Duke and Demery getting in, in trouble, whatever it is, that uh, whatever rule they violated. But um, I think it's definitely good for the program because it establishes um, a precedent and it establishes that Fleck isn't going to, you know, concede um, – letting one of his rules get violated just for the sake of making sure a starter can get on the field um, to get the win on Saturdays. I think it's just it's something that's going to help them move forward and avoid these sort of things in the future. Um, but obviously it just sucks in the moment because obviously it's affecting the team on the field, like the loss of Duke. Um, McGee was huge on Saturday. He was, I mean, he's a sure tackler. He's a strong safety, good and run support. Um, he would have been huge against the Maryland's two running backs. And um, without him, you've got, I mean, Kunle Allende and Ken Handy Holly out there. And those is the drop off there is just not, uh, not comparable. So um, I definitely think it's, it's the right direction for the program. I respect Fleck for his stance, but um, obviously it's going to affect the product on the field. For some people, that's going to be difficult to grasp, but um, I think it'll pay dividends down the road for the program. So street, you know, I think, I've seen sort of a, um, an undercurrent of frustration from 
I'm not going to say the media. I think it's just from a variety of folks. Some are in media, some are just fans about his cryptic nature. Do you think uh, this is what we have uh, to expect from Fleck moving forward, that he'll be fairly cryptic about injuries and suspensions? Uh, And is that something that you're supportive of? Or do you kind of wish that he'd be a little more straightforward with, you know, letting folks know what's going on? I'm going to take a little bit of time to talk about this. It is beyond confusing to me. I really mean it's beyond confusing me that anyone honestly really cares if Flex being cryptic or not. If you're a beat writer, like, oh no, you can't write a paragraph in your story. If you're some person on Twitter, you super don't care. There's no, you have no interaction with this person other than on Saturday. And yeah, I'm a fan, so it kind of sucks when my favorite player can't play because my team is going to lose. And that means that if I don't have like a groupie with beer a la Andy in Section 30 with the beautiful people, then I'm in trouble because I won't enjoy the afternoon or something. But Fleck can be as cryptic as he wants. Fleck doesn't have to talk to you. It's not like Nick Saban has wonderful rants about this. He doesn't have to, Fleck doesn't need to talk to you. Fleck doesn't need to tell you any information. And honestly, if you didn't know that information, wouldn't affect your life one way or the other. I'm 100% pro Fleck being cryptic. I'm 100% pro him being in a world in which his players' privacy actually matters. The only reason why we release injury reports in the NFL is for gambling reasons. Richard Sherman was absolutely right about that. If you're gambling on college football, then the only reason you care about injuries is for an ulterior motive. If that's your motivation, I don't think you should know. Because honestly, you're probably going to lose that bet anyway. And realistically speaking, if you bet the over on something, the fact that some individual is injured or suspended or for whatever reason, probably not going to matter one way or the other. If it's a major person, that gets leaked out regardless. Everyone knew that Duke McGee was not going to play several weeks in advance. So if you wanted to gamble on the game and you didn't know that information, you're a bad gambler. My view of all of this is that we should expect this to continue. We should embrace this trend. And we should go back to a world where we don't assume that we need to have some weird insider access for something that fundamentally is not something that actually matters to either our enjoyment of the game, the necessity of understanding things about the team, or really just our daily job in general. So that's my view on it. Three things, uh, dear podcast listeners. Uh, First, that was today's nuclear hot take brought to you by Fallout 4. Uh, second, we didn't plan that. I actually kind of improvised that question and forgot it was the topic that Alex was passionate about. So that was completely off the cuff and I love it. And third, am I a horrible person if I admit that I forgot Duke McGee was going to be suspended, even though we should know better than anybody as people who follow the team? And when I made my prediction about Minnesota kind of romping fairly easily, it was with the expectation that Duke McGee was going to be out there. Well, I'll step in and say, you know, from a, from a fan standpoint, now I'll I'll go with the Rube aspect of it, you know, for the suspension stuff like that. I understand that, and I understand Fleck is going to do this. So for all the fans out there complaining about this, get used to it. This is going to be the new status quo. It's just like the coyness around some of the injuries. You know, we had no idea until half hour before kickoff that Demetrius Douglas was out for the season on Saturday. Now, maybe that injury happened on Friday and nobody needed to know, but if that ha- injury happened on Tuesday, well, one, the, the Gopher coaching staff has done a really good job of shutting down all the leaks because in any previous administration that would have leaked out within 24 hours. Uh, and two, you know, like I said, from strictly from a fan Rube standpoint, yeah, it would have been nice to know that our second best receiver wasn't going to play, you know, so I could have gotten in a better state of mind to go, oh, this is going to be a little more interesting. But to, to go along with what Alex says, you know, Fleck is going to sort of go at this from what Nick Saban and several of the other highly profile coaches do. He doesn't have to tell you anything. He's not going to tell you anything, whether it's competitive advantage, whether it's he's going to say it's athlete privacy. It's not athlete privacy. It's probably competitive advantage. It's not going to happen. So Gopher fans are just going to have to get used to finding out when the beat writers get to the game and get down on the field half hour and go, oh, by the way, so-and-so is in a boot and not dressed for today. Or, oh, by the way, so-and-so isn't there because apparently he got suspended midweek and nobody bothered to tell anybody. So, um, while, as, from like I said, from a standpoint, I can be slightly annoyed by that. I'll get over it. Andy, I love, I love 
that your reason was essentially, I just needed to know how, which kind of bleach to get ready. Cause it's truthful. It's from the heart. And it's exactly the same reason that I would want to know because I just want to know how much I have to mentally gear up for pain. That's the life of a Minnesota fan. Pretty much been there, done that, used to it. Boom. All right. Purdue. Um, for those listening, uh, get excited. We're going to talk about Purdue here, but uh, a little bit later this week, probably Thursday. Uh, I'm guessing this is going to drop Wednesday, so Thursday. I'll have a new podcast Q&A with uh, Boiler T-Mill, Travis from Hammer and Rails. So get excited for that. Fun guy. Fun to talk to him. Uh, not fun that he gets to be excited. I, I'm happy for him as a person that he gets to get, be excited about Purdue football. But uh, he has some reasons that he's excited about Purdue football that I find annoying as a Minnesota fan. Um, and I guess we can kind of talk about some of those. Looking ahead at Purdue, uh, Blake, you're, I, I think, in the middle of writing your preview for Thursday. Uh, what do you see uh, from Purdue that Minnesota fans should be watching out for? Well, I mean, right away, Purdue fans pretty excited um, just because this team uh, lost by a touchdown to Louisville at a fourth quarter lead um, in week one. And then uh, two weeks ago, you saw them um, lead Michigan at halftime, and eventually they blew that 2010. Um, in between that, they beat Ohio and Missouri, which I think they're Daryl Hazel was one in three against the Mac in his tenure. So that's uh, the Ohio wins pretty big for them. And then Missouri, um, Hazel never beat a power five non-conference opponent. So right away, Jeff Brown's off to a good start. Um, but on offense, we'll see um, two quarterbacks. They've got junior David Blau and sophomore Elisha Sindelar. Sindelar started the first two games of the year. Blau started the last two. Um, he's a little banged up. He sprained his throwing shoulder against Michigan, but from what I've heard, he's supposed to play, he's supposed to play um, on Saturday. Uh, there's really not a huge difference between the two. They're both pretty uh, pretty similar. I think Blau's got like a 70% completion percentage uh, with like 80 attempts, which is pre- pretty good if you ask me. I'd take that any day from any gopher quarterback. Um, and I say he'll, the big question mark for them is that running back. Uh, they've been without their starter, Markel Jones, for – since the opening game of the season, um, although he might be back this Saturday, um, which is good timing because they lost their second string running back, um, Tario Fuller, to an injury, I think, against Michigan. Um, so if Markel Jones is back, that's a big game for them. If if he Jones and Fuller are both out, they've got two guys that don't even have 100 yards rushing combined. So uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. But the big test for the Gopher offense will be their receiving core. Um, they've got, I think, four players with at least 10 reception and five players with at least 100 receiving yards um, on the season. The big guy to watch out for is Jackson Anthrop. He's a freshman. If you remember his last name, Anthrop, he's the younger brother of Danny Anthrop, who uh, annoyed us for several years at Purdue, um, and he graduated last year, so now we've got another Anthrop to annoy us for the next four years. Um, He's got four touchdowns on the year, just 18 receptions. Um, They also like to get their tight ends involved. They've actually got two... Um, that have more than 100 receiving yards. Cole Herdman has 213 receiving yards, one touchdown, and then Bryson Hopkins has 100, 170 receiving yards, three touchdowns. So um, they like to get their tight ends involved. That's going to have force Rob Smith to probably put some linebackers into coverage, uh, which doesn't necessarily bode well for the defensive line because typically they need, they've needed um, help from the blitz to pressure the quarterback, as we saw against Maryland. They struggled just um, rushing four. So. Um, if they're going to be tied up with pass cover, that's not going to bode particularly well for pressuring the quarterback. Um, and Purdue's offensive line actually is not very good at pass protection. I think they've allowed something like three sacks per game through the first four games, which is, I think, 119th or something nationally. So um, if the Gophers can take advantage of that and um, put some pressure on Blau and Sindelar, um, that's definitely going to help out a shorthanded secondary. But, uh, again, that's a big if. We'll see if they're able to take advantage. Um on defense, uh, the big news for Purdue is they'll be missing their leading tackler and starting middle linebacker, Juwan Bentley. He's big in run support. Um, so having him gone for the first half due to T was ejected for targeting in the second half against Michigan two weeks ago. Um, so the Gophers will definitely need to take advantage of him not being there if they want to get the running game going in those first two quarters. Um, Purdue's also missing their starting strong safety, um, also for targeting in the mission game. Um, and he's a big uh, key player in, the, in their secondary, so they'll need to take advantage of that. Although their secondary isn't particularly good, I uh, think they're allowing like 250 yards passing per game. And I think the lowest they've held an opponent to 
passing yards wise was Ohio, and that was like 223 passing yards. So um, the space is there if uh, the Gophers can find some receivers to throw to. I mean, they've got you know Eric Carter, full power, Tyler Johnson, but uh, um, they weren't exactly lighting it up against Maryland. But they did have a promising game, so we'll see if they can kind of take advantage of um, an iffy passing defense. Um, Purdue surprisingly has a pretty good defensive front. Uh, I think they're ranked in the top 50 in rushing defense. Uh, I think a big part of that, obviously, is their linebackers. I think their three starting linebackers are three of their four leading tacklers. And um, two, of our, two of our seniors, they're all returning starters from last season. So um, that defensive front is going to be pretty tough. Um, again, I can't stress enough, they really need to take advantage of Bentley being out in the first half. Um, need to get that running game going. Otherwise, I think they're going to struggle. I think that this this Purdue defense definitely is very opportunistic, although uh, most of their turnovers have been fumbles, and the Gophers are typically pretty sure-handed when it comes to fumbles. The biggest turnover obstacle has been Connor Rhoda and his three interceptions, but uh, uh, Purdue only has three interceptions through four games, so they're not exactly a ball-hawking secondary, but um, it's definitely an interesting matchup. Um, I, I think the Gopher offense versus the... Um, Purdue defense can be interesting because I wouldn't say the Gophers pass the ball particularly well, but Purdue's vulnerable in the past game, and then the Gophers want to be able to run the ball, but they've struggled, and Purdue's got a tough defensive front. So it'll be an interesting game to watch. I don't think it's necessarily that Purdue's better than Minnesota or leaps and bounds better. I think it's going to be a pretty close game. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Street, you know, you've talked a couple times about how Minnesota, especially on defense, uh, can hopefully take advantage of a week to prepare, knowing what they know as far as who's out, where the injuries and, and suspensions put them. For Minnesota's defense, what sort of game plan are you hoping to see, or, or maybe less, um, b- a little more detail, uh, what changes are you hoping you'll see from the Maryland game plan in terms of how they attack Purdue? The first thing that I'm hoping to see is that they practiced how to tackle this week. The biggest problem from a defensive standpoint against Maryland is just the number of missed tackles in space. Purdue is going to create a lot of one-on-one matchups with its offense. If it's successful, it's because it's frequently winning those one-on-one matchups. If it's unsuccessful, it's because the defense is doing their job. If you have a week to prepare, there's a lot of things happening in Purdue's offense. So from a pre-snap perspective, the Gophers are going to have to make sure they get into the right positions, that they are reading things correctly. Derek Burns, shout out Derek Burns on Twitter, had a good video talking through a running play that the Gophers failed because they failed to maintain outside leverage, which is the second technique thing that needs to clean up. If you have a lot of athletes like you do at Purdue who are trying to get one-on-one matchups, it is imperative the defense actually maintains leverage, especially outside leverage. Those are the two execution things that I have to clean up. Schematically, I'm not Rob Smith. I'm not going to claim to be a genius. I annoyingly enjoy watching Purdue now because Jeff Brown's offense is phenomenally fun to watch. It will absolutely be a challenge to defend it. Where the Gophers can be successful, and this is the other thing from a game plan that I'm hoping for, is that they're actually going to bring pressure, especially if the quarterback on the other side has a shoulder that isn't that great. If that's the case, then Purdue's really going to want to have a quick game. Therefore, it's going to be probably more difficult to get to the quarterback, and they're going to have to take some risks. I would expect that you'll probably see a lot more of Kamal Martin on Saturday, and I think if the Gophers have a really successful game, Kamal Martin in particular will have a great game because he's going to be on the field a ton and is going to be responsible for a lot of different things that thus far he hasn't really had to been responsible for because the Gophers haven't really encountered any team that could really pass. The one where they may have had, Middle Tennessee State of course, the starting quarterback, Breck Stostel, was hurt. Minnesota Volleyball had a kind of up-and-down weekend. They got swept by Nebraska, which uh, don't get too worried about because Nebraska is on a tear right now when it comes to beating ranked teams, and then went ahead and grabbed a, a win at Iowa. Rachel is going to walk us through some more thoughts about Minnesota Volleyball uh, and the beginning of the Big Ten season. 
Hey, Rachel here, just to talk a little bit about Gopher Volleyball, what they've been doing since the last time we talked about them on the podcast. It's been two weeks now of conference play. Right now the Gophers are 13-2 overall, 2-2 two two in conference play. They're, well, the first loss came against Michigan State at home, which snapped the 40-game home win streak, which, I mean, I thought it was going to happen much later in the season, but not completely surprised it happened. was surprised that it was a sweep. Michigan State, just great servers. They were able to you know, get, generate a lot of points for themselves just directly off their serves. And otherwise, Minnesota struggled passing. So we couldn't stay in our offense, stay in system, play that, or, you know, with the quick sets and fast tempo that they like to play with, which if they can't do that, they don't have as much of an advantage of their opponents. And Michigan State was really able to keep Minnesota out of system all night long. So that was a three-set sweep that ended the 40-game home win streak. And then this last weekend, Minnesota lost. We got swept by Nebraska at Nebraska. Didn't, yeah, this is another one. Didn't expect it to go like this. In the first set, they kind of came back. They lost like 25-21. And then the second set, Daliana Lee's Rosado got hurt. She kept playing, but she wasn't, you know, normal mobile normal mobility kind of stiff moving around and then third set gainer Alyssa gainer took her spot at libero and then you know everyone's passing next to somebody they don't usually pass next to playing a different defensive spot and then nebraska just really caught fire in the third set and just crushed us did not think it would go like that at all i think if dolly allen doesn't get hurt it doesn't go like that but it's still always tough to win in lincoln Coincidentally, then, Michigan State and Nebraska are two undefeated teams in conference play. They're both 4-0. and Wednesday evening, Michigan State will play at Nebraska, so one of the teams will take sole possession of first place in conference play. Minnesota will also be playing Wednesday night. They'll be at Wisconsin, which this will be a really interesting match. I think this could kind of be a turning point for Minnesota. How, you know, are they a real contender or not? The team, you know, has taken some losses, but be interesting to see if these girls can respond. You know, can they bounce back? Can they get a big win on the road in a hostile environment? You know, we saw they they were able to do that against Texas, but I think you know, conference play in Wisconsin is kind of a different animal. There's obviously that familiarity of seeing each other two times a year, but as much as Minnesota's lineup and team has changed from last season, so has Wisconsin's. They've had a lot of great freshmen. Their middle blocker. Brett Key, who's 6'8", has had a great season so far. She's averaging over three kills a set, a block and a half, and she has a great serve, too. She'll likely be in some of those same, you know, conference freshman of the year, national freshman of the year conversation as Samity. Another thing that changed for Wisconsin is this season, Kelly Bates is not playing the barrel like she did last year. She's back hitting on the outside and plays six rotations for them. Their freshman setter, Hilly, has done a great job filling, you know, Lauren Carlini's shoes, who graduated. On Minnesota's side of the net, ball control will be paramount. If they can stay in system and, you know, keep playing fast and they can neutralize Retke's block. And Minnesota hitters will just have to be smart, you know, kind of pick your shots and your spots. When they're in transition and out of system, just keep the ball in play. In those cases, they just got to trust your defense, which Minnesota leads conference and digs. You know, trust the defense going to get that next one up and get maybe better swing on the next one. Another important thing will be the play of Stephanie Samity. She did not have a great match against Nebraska. Alexis Hart has been great the last few weeks, but they really need Samity, you know, get her kills, give the offense a little more balance. Beyond the conference race, this match could have implications on postseason play. You know, with more and more conference losses and the further you fall in the conference standings, the less likely you are to get a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. And then you have less odds of hosting a regional, which would be, as Minnesota has shown, that home court advantage is incredible and really great for them. This match will be on BTN at 7 o'clock Wednesday night. So if you have BTN, you can tune in, cheer on the Gophers. Second match of the week will be against Michigan Saturday at noon. It will not be on TV. Uh, less concerned about Michigan. We were able to get the sweep at home. They don't 
really do anything special. They're very balanced. They aren't a particular great serving team, so as long as Minnesota can pass, they'll be fine. They'll be a system. Everyone can, you know, put up those good numbers. Pittman, Loman, Samity, Hart. Should be a good win. Michigan's not a very hostile environment, and I doubt there'd be a great turnout Saturday at noon. That's all I got for this week. If you have BTN, watch the Gophers Wednesday night against Wisconsin, and hopefully next week on the podcast, Minnesota will be 4-2 and in conference play, and we can talk about the win over the Badgers. Thanks again to Rachel for all of her coverage here at the Daily Gopher on volleyball, which you should be paying close attention to because it's going to be one of the most exciting parts of the fall as we get closer to the NCAA tournament and the Big Ten season continues. Switching gears uh, kind of into questions. Um, one thing that came out talking with uh, Travis from Hammer and Rails was uh, a reminder that Purdue really likes the trick plays. Um, they've run several variations, I think one every game so far, um, including the spring game when they ran a fake flea flicker, which I didn't even know was a thing you could do. Uh, it was uh, pitched to the, you know, handoff to the running back who fakes the pitch back to the quarterback and then runs straight up the field for 15 yards. If you had to pick a favorite trick play, what would your favorite trick play be? Um, and for me, it's going to have to be the Jay Cutler Wildcat, which I guess isn't really a trick play, but became a trick play in my heart uh, on Sunday when they ran the Wild, when Miami, I don't know if anyone's seen this, but Miami ran the Wildcat and Jay Cutler uh, is motioned out as a wide receiver and doesn't give two shits. Literally doesn't move off the line, doesn't try to sell that he's part of the play. It's more like, why are you making me the dude who was retired stand out here and pretend like I have any role in this whatsoever. Never moved. Is that really a trick play? No. Did I realize that I was about to talk about a non-trick play in a trick play segment as I was answering? Yes. But that's what happened, and that's what I love. Uh, Blake, what would your favorite trick play be? I don't necessarily mean favorite that Minnesota's pulled, but a formation or style. What kind of trick play do you would you prefer? I mean, honestly, when you say trick play, the first thing that comes to mind is Boise State, Oklahoma was the either the hook and ladder at the end of the game or the Statue of Liberty or the two-point conversion. I mean, that's just, to me, that's always going to be the seminal trick plays of college football. Because I'm not personally not a big fan of the, like, three or four reverses and then you pass. It just, I just hate those long-developing plays, and they're just an opportunity to lose a ton of yards. So um, the simple hook and ladder or the Statue of Liberty, I'll take those any day. Street, what's your favorite trick play? I agree with Blake that the Statue of Liberty, but the specific variant of it was Oregon during the Dennis Dixon years running the Statue of Liberty because not only did they have the base Statue of Liberty, they had options off the Statue of Liberty. And sometimes they faked the Statue of Liberty and ran a separate tag because this was the time in college football history where Chip Kelly was really coming into his own and turning things upside down. That is probably my favorite trick play. On your Jay Cutler front, my other favorite trick play is the trick play by which someone fumbles the ball and then, while attempting to pick that up, ends up losing approximately 84 yards. I have not laughed as hard at any play in years. I sincerely hope at least once a week some team pulls that particular play. Who was it that did that when we were playing Oregon State? It was was that the Boise State game or was that some other game that they managed to end up with a fourth and ninety two or whatever? I do not remember because honestly, my mind went blank, went totally blank in the way that I think happens after you sort of like eat something that's perfect for the first time. The first time you ever go to like a really fancy steakhouse and eat a delicious prime rib, or if you're a vegetarian the first time you thought you were a rabbit, wherever that is, that was the, my state of mind while watching that play. I remember no other details, just that in itself, it was perfect. Andy, what's your favorite trick play? 
I'm going to be the lame guy and say uh, the one that works because there's nothing more frustrating for a fan as the coaching staff tries to get all crazy creative and then loses 15 yards on a triple reverse pass or you have your running back who tries to hit the wide open receiver and short arms at 10 yards and they get the opponents get an easy interception. So I'll be that boring guy and say, just let your running backs run the ball and let your quarterback throw the ball unless you really think you're going to be able to pull this off because otherwise you're just going to piss off your fan base. Speaking of which, the play that I, I guess we never learned for sure if it was a trick play, but I'm I'm extremely confident that it was that didn't work for Minnesota that I really wish had was against Michigan in oh goodness, 2012. So Kill's second year. And it was that one where they uh, had, I guess it would have been Philip Nelson running off the field. Um, and they ended up in a punt formation and it looked like he was late getting off the field, but he was actually the 11th guy and they ran him down the field and there should have been a pass available there possibly, but it just didn't quite work. Like, does anyone else remember that play? I do remember that play. I, I wish that play had like been a thing that got pulled off. It would have been magical. That that's, that easily would have been like one of the greatest things I'd seen live in person ever. But it ended up being whatever it was was not good and um, is remembered for the reasons that Andy speaks of, which were less positive. Um, so moving on, uh, Sindelar, the uh, quarterback, Elijah Sindelar, the, the, one of the quarterbacks for Purdue. Um, Am I the only one who thinks Elijah Sindelar has serial killer eyes? Because I think his eyes are terrifying. You are not alone. The first time I laid eyes on him, I think it was the Louisville game. I was like, this guy frightens me. Andy, do you, do you I mean, what, what do you see when you look into that man's eyes? Why are you looking into that man's eyes? <laughs> because they're mesmerizing in the most horrifying way possible. Fox puts them on the TV and I'm left there going, Oh my God, he hates me and wants to murder me and the children I don't have. There's just, there, there's something going on behind those eyes and it makes me very uncomfortable. I just, I can't quite describe it, but there's just something unnerving about them. I'm sure he suffers from the exact same affliction that Purdue Pete does. Cause those eyes also look like they've seen some stuff. So, <gasps> Oh, see, I hadn't thought of that. He has the Purdue Pete syndrome. I mean, Purdue Pete's eyes aren't as piercing and blue, but but yes, he must have learned from the master. This guy looks like the villain in a low-budget Stallone film. <laughs> he does have like a D- Dolph Lundgren type of vibe about him. Yeah, like they tried to get Michael Shannon for it, but Michael Shannon was like, absolutely not. And so someone went, well, like, get some dude with the face that's kind of like Michael Shannon, and we'll just deal with it in post. Uh, I was not expecting a Michael Shannon reference, and I love how it's completely clear that only Blake and I were absurdly bothered by this dude's eyes, and Alex had to go look at a photo on Google to remind himself if he cared. (laughs) Andy's like, why are you looking at this dude's eyes? And Alex is like, I need to look at this dude's eyes. Uh, What can I say? I'm curious. Actually, I'm going to amend that. Did anyone see the movie Prince of Persia? Yes, it was fantastic. Trick question, no one saw the movie Prince of Persia. No, I saw the movie Prince of Persia, the one with Jake Gyllenhaal, and the hot girl from the Bond movie whose name I can't think of. I do not believe you. But anyway, I imagine the villain in the Prince of Persia, this guy. I'm actually just sitting here offended that you would think that I'm not capable of watching a terrible movie like Prince of Persia. Oh, I don't worry. Don't get me wrong. I fully, we had a great post about all of the terrible movies we love. So it's not that I don't think you're capable. It's that I just, I just don't believe that movie ever came out. Like I remember seeing lots of ads for it before YouTube videos and then it passed. What should the punishment be for anyone who watches Geostorm? Oh man, I want to, I want to be first in line for that. I am almost as excited for Geostorm as I was for John Wick 2 for not a quality reason, but purely to have Gerard Butler have to say science terms for any length of time in a way that is in any way convincing. 
I'm extremely disturbed that you would put John Wick 2 and Geostorm anywhere in the same like universe for any reasons whatsoever. John Wick 2 was phenomenal. Let me be very clear here. But I had a similar predicament in that the various people who I was hanging out with was like, hey, does anyone want to go see John Wick 2? And because I have terrible friends, no one said yes. I can guarantee you that it will be a similar situation for Geostorm. So it will be like, me in the theater watching Geostorm and watching Gerard Butler try and seriously come up with, we came up with something to try and control the weather. And weirdly, it backfired. Actually, they just cut, they cut a new promo that aired tonight that I saw just before hopping on the podcast that said, literally, I kid you not, we came up with something to control the weather and they turned it into a gun. If he doesn't win an Oscar, I don't know. I mean, I can see why it was made. When you walk into a pitch meeting with, with that line... As your pitch, I mean, we came up with a way to control the weather. They turned it into a gun. I mean, I greenlight that right away and say, get Gerard Butler on the phone right now. Does Andy Garcia have a big debt problem? Because he's in this movie. He has some terrible lines by the look of it, too. Maybe he's envious of Nick Cage's ability to be in terrible films. You're assuming that there are any, anything, like there are any good lines in, in Geostorm. I just readily assume anyone in Geostorm is going to have a bad line, no matter what. Mm. Fair point. Uh, Also, for those uh, who have not dropped off the podcast, yes, this is the sort of scintillating conversation you can expect when three of us are on NyQuil and there was a disheartening loss. We may eventually just sort of roll into random movie talk. um, But at the same time, that's kind of how the blog runs on the day to day. So we figure you're probably cool with it. When you were talking about people dropping off the podcast, were you including me on that? Because I think I just took about a 10 minute nap there. Andy, I'm 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 disturbed that between talking about the eyes of Purdue quarterbacks and moving into Geostorm, that you have not been like right there with the takes. I thought I knew you better than that. It's painfully obvious the three of you don't have children because you have free time <laughs> to go see really bad movies. I so say Andy Andy also deserves a pass. He's just despondent right now. It's been a rough night for him. So I I feel free that if he wants to take a breather while we talk movies, I mean he I'll afford him that right. Andy, do you watch Caillou? Luckily not yet. They're still full uh full very excited about Elmo. Um and watching Andy break down the things that are crazy about Sesame that that's crazy about Sesame Street like is is fun. I also have begun to wonder just how, how many pieces of like jokes for adults I missed when I was watching Sesame Street as a child. Now there are several. the The nice thing about the uh, the writers in Sesame Street is just like uh, Family Guy and Simpsons, they slip in a lot of really really good jokes that only your parents will understand if you're watching with children. So it's uh, it definitely makes it worthwhile not to completely zone out. Anybody else have a good question? I don't have a question, but I am shocked. I've now Googled Prince of Persia, and this movie made twice its budget. Where's the sequel? It made three hundred and thirty-six million dollars on an estimated budget of one seventy. How much of that was international? Uh, I mean, probably more than. Let's see, box office. It includes like during Memorial Day, it surpassed Sex and the City two to gross thirty-seven million dollars for the four-day weekend and finish in second place, which may be the most depressing sentence I've ever read. <laughs> I didn't realize it came out after Sex and the City two. I thought it was before. $91 million, uh, or $90 million in the United States and Canada, 244 elsewhere. It is the highest, it is the second highest video game adaptation gross of all time before it was surpassed by Warcraft in 2016. I don't have another question for you, Chris, so I think given that we chatted about movies, we can probably move into the uh, preview, but I will say, even though I'm hopped up on drugs, that is that is really fucked up. You do realize I'm going to try to find a way to cut that so that entire segment stays. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like that's my power. I have post production power. Y- y'all are y'all are just the reality TV stars of my world. All right, we've gone sideways for uh, probably long enough. Predictions for the Purdue game. Uh, I'm going to kick it over to Blake to start. 
I'd say Purdue is obviously improved from the rock bottom it was uh, experienced under Daryl Hazel, but I'm not quite ready to concede that they're better than Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota has won four straight. Um, I think it's just it's too going to be too close a game for me to go with Purdue. I'm going to go with the homer pick, 30-28. I think the defense brings some leaks, but I think the offense puts up just enough points, and the defense bends but doesn't quite break, and the Gophers come out on top here. All right, Street, what do you have? 28-24, good guys. And the final score is going to happen very late, which will lead to a cover, but probably not to the same wonderment that was the Kansas City Chiefs cover. That was magical in the way that I... I I love the announcer's call where he said something like, I I assume some of you will be interested in this, or whatever he said. Kansas City has it. This might be meaningful to some... Uh, Andy, what do you have? All right, I'm going to be that guy. Uh, with our issues in the secondary and, as Street was saying, or Blake was saying, um, you know, Purdue involving the linebacker, or involving the tight ends in the passing game, which is going to draw linebackers into coverage, not allow Rob Smith to dollop as many blitzes as we might like. And obviously our four-man pass rush looked horrible last week. Uh, I just don't think our defense is in the position to stop it. So I'm going to go Purdue 38, Gophers 28. My head wants to be with Andy because I just am feeling a little bit negative right now. Uh, But my heart says you're going to be at this game in person and you don't want it to happen. So I'm going to go 27-24 Minnesota. Um, May not be the the prettiest game, uh, but we'll get a win and I will get to come home from West Lafayette happy. Uh, with that, thanks again for another uh, wonderful episode of the Sky U podcast here at the Daily Gopher. Um, on behalf of everybody on the line right now, we thank you for listening. Keep uh, sharing. We got a lot of comments uh, more recently in the last couple posts, or I guess last week's post. Please keep that going. We love hearing what you like, what uh, you'd like to change, any feedback you have. Because um, amazingly enough, we do know that some of you are listening. So thank you for that. Sky U Ma, go Gophers. Row the boat.